What's happening, y'all? Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you with our final 2022 fantasy football bold predictions. Don't worry, this video will not be heavy on the analysis. We're just going to go off the cuff, division by division, a bold take each. We're going to bring a little bit of rationale to the table, but quite frankly, we are sick of talking about these players' outlooks. We just want to see the games be played. It is officially week one. Today is Tuesday as we are recording this. Um, on Thursday morning, we're going to have our week one like rankings by position and we're going to have our live stream obviously for Thursday night football. So we are into the swing of things fast and furious. Um, I hope you guys are ready for this because we have been excited for this season to begin. Of course, you guys know if you've been around here a while, know that we are going to be at week one Dallas versus Tampa Bay in Arlington, Texas. So that should be a lot of fun for us this week. But Danny, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. And like you said, we've been sickos all off season. We've been sickos all summer, you know, breaking down the exact percentage points of some of these guys, you know, some of the data surrounding a lot of these points that this is just more fun. We're just hopping on. We're talking ball. We're going to be talking about some predictions. And again, a lot of these takes are more so a projection or more so us having fun rather than to be taken at full face value. So if you guys are watching this, hear something like what the fuck is going on, just enjoy, grab the popcorn and relax. Yeah, and as always, too, if you guys have a bold prediction for this season, leave it down below. If you want to leave yours division by division, leave uh, eight bold takes for us, by all means, we will feel free to engage with you down below in the comments. But before we get into it, as always, let's hit the intro. All right, quickly before we get into this, you guys know that we are big supporters of Underdog Fantasy over here at Fantasy Stock Exchange. They are running the Puppy 4 is still live right now. Best Ball Mania 3 is almost closed. So if you guys haven't already done so, if you guys have already had your home league drafts and you're like, ah, man, I really wanted to get Jonathan Taylor this year. I really wanted to get Javante Williams this year and I wasn't able to draft them. Good news is you can still get your shares in over at underdogfantasy.com. Using the promo code FSE, you'll get 100% back on whatever you put in. So if you put in 10 bucks, you'll have 20 on the site to play with. And you can get some puppy entries in. You can get some Best Ball Mania 3 entries in. $10 million in total prizes in that contest. Big prizes in the Puppy 4 as well. Either way, let's get into the bold predictions. So we're going to start with the AFC East, the first division that we're going to talk about. I have already talked about some of these bold predictions on TikTok. If you guys are not following us over there, uh, be sure to check that out in the description. But the take that I talked about was Ramondre Stevenson finishing as a top 15 running back in points per game, obviously outscoring Damian Harris and anybody else in that backfield as well. The path for him to do that is that he can just outright win this backfield without a Damian Harris injury. He was a first year running back last year, showed a lot of tackle breaking ability. Tackles avoided per attempt were very good. And also we have the path to the receiving upside that we know Damian Harris doesn't really carry. So for me, Ramondre Stevenson finishing as a top 15 running back would mean that he probably just took over this backfield altogether. Damian Harris will still get carries, but Ramondre gets the you know valuable touches, the goal line work and the receiving work. So I love Ramondre to finish as a top 15 running back this year as a bold prediction. Maybe you want to go even bolder and say he's like a top 10, top 12 running back as well. And I'm glad you mentioned this because on my five more must draft breakouts video that I put out on the channel, I basically talked about the case, the pathing for Ramondre Stevenson to not only pay off at ADP, but potentially be a top 15 caliber running back. And a big interesting tidbit that has been talked about from Patriots camp all offseason is the fact that given their losses on the offensive line, 
they would rather the more creative tackle breaking runner that Ron Ramondre Stevenson represents rather than the strict between the tackles type of archetype that Damon Harris represents. So that was a nugget I heard not to mention that all offseason, apparently Bill Belichick's been raving about Ramondre Stevenson's ability in the passing game, in the protection game, which if you're, you know, an, an old school follower of fantasy football, an old school follower of football in general, Getting the nod of approval from a guy like Bill Belichick in those clutch situations. Bill Belichick has shown in the past that he will put the running back in that he fully trusts in certain situations. So if we're already hearing those rave reviews from Belichick with Ramondre Stevenson on third down, you best believe that he's going to have that role over Damon Harrison. Of course, if he chips into that early down work, we're getting a potential 18, 19, 20 plus opportunity per game back on what I expect to be an improved offense from last year. So love Ramondre. My take from the AFC East is going to be that Elijah Moore does indeed finish as a wide receiver one in fantasy football this year. And for my case, it's pretty simple. I talked about him in my breakouts video again, but with Elijah Moore, you were getting an ascending young second year talent that showed last year in stretches week seven to 13 that he can sustain a top 10 level production. And this is on the back of eight targets per game. This is on the back of an extremely efficient play from him, despite inadequate quarterback play. If Zach Wilson takes that next step, I think wide receiver one, like I said with Elijah Moore, might even be an understatement. I think talent-wise, he's already at that potential level. Maybe that's a spicy take in its own. But given the usage and given his clear-cut role as the number one in this offseason, like reports have said all offseason, I wouldn't be shocked if Elijah Moore is getting selected where T. Higgins is this time next year. Yeah, and I think T. Higgins finishing as the wide receiver 12 in points per game last year is a reasonable projection for Elijah Moore. So yeah, totally on board with that take. I just drafted Elijah Moore last night in my home league at the 6-2, and I'm very happy with that pick. Let's move on to the AFC West, and my hot take is that Darren Waller finishes overall as the tight end one, and the reason I think he has this type of ceiling, because he obviously disappointed a lot of people last year that drafted him with the injuries and the only fact that they scored only one touchdown or whatever, but Darren Waller is still an elite talent at the tight end position. I think you know people are going to forget that a little bit, and just because Devontae Adams is now there, and he obviously impacts Darren Waller's target share, but Darren Waller has never been the second target in an offense since he's been an elite player. He's going to you know, not see a lot of attention, especially in the red zone where Devontae Adams has been so efficient. So I think Darren Waller has the highest touchdown ceiling of his career this year. And if he has 10, 12 touchdowns and still has 115, 120 targets more efficient on those, on those looks than he's been in years past, I think Darren Waller can be the tight end one overall over Travis Kelsey, over Mark Andrews, over Kyle Pitts, over George Kittle, if he's you know more efficient in the red zone this year. Yeah, and with Darren Waller, it's funny when people say, well, they added Devontae Adams. Like, how does he have a pathing to be the overall tight end one? Well, the guy that's been, you know, tight end one across the fantasy landscape in, what, the last six years has shared a field with a top three receiver in the past with Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. So, oddly enough, in the same division. If the Raiders offense does take that step, maybe they don't become, you know, Chiefs-esque, but maybe they're a top eight to ten offense in the NFL. This is definitely a plausible take. I think Darren Waller's easily shown that he has the talent to be able to do that. He's shown in the past that he's able to command targets despite the circumstances. And with Devontae Adams there, as you mentioned, he might have more attention and potentially see a uptick in terms of that potential red zone usage, touchdown scoring opportunity, given the propensity of this offense. So I like that Darren Waller take. I'm also a full believer on the Javante Williams hype train this year. I think that Javante Williams, my bold take, is that he pulls a JT and he has the highest best ball win rate amongst running backs picked outside of the first round. I think you actually called that JT exact prediction last year. So I'll tail off of it. I'll say that Javante Williams does what you said J JT would do last year. And with Javante Williams, he is a running back that week 11 on after their bye week, averaged 16 PPR points per game on a 57% snap share. 
If we're projecting this guy to take the next step as a second-year player, again, if you think Melvin Gordon is going to take the role he did last year, every indication we have got in this offseason is that they want Javante Owen involved. They want that second-year elite tackle-breaking talent to be able to get more opportunity in this offense. So if we're getting 60, 65, 70% opportunity share for a running back in what should be a top five to 10 offense with Russell Wilson at the helm, I think we're in store for potentially, you know, 50 plus targets, 15 plus touchdowns. And of course, an ascending top five overall uh, placement in terms of 2023 fantasy drafts when it comes to Javante Williams ADP. Yeah, do not disagree with this take at all. I think Javante Williams has every bit the ceiling that Jonathan Taylor had last year to be a top three running back, top five running back overall. And like you said, produce a huge best ball win rate of any running back outside of the first round. So let's move on to the AFC North. And I put out a poll today about uh, David Njoku versus Pat Fryermuth because uh, you have David Njoku rated higher. You thought you think he has a higher ceiling than Pat Fryermuth. I think Pat Fryermuth belongs in the tier of tight ends with you know Dawson Knox and Zach Ertz and those type of guys. So my bold take is that he's a top five tight end. And I think he was completely overshadowed by what Kyle Pitts did last year. And the fact that he had a awesome rookie season, he was playing as a 55% route participation type of guy, part-time player alongside pro bowl tight end, Eric Ebron and Eric Ebron, you know, wasn't great last year, but he was keeping Pat Fryermuth off the field. And the way that they were operating that tight end core is that when Pat Fryermuth was on the field, he was heavily involved in the red zone. He was heavily involved when he was getting the full allotment of routes. And I think, as a second-year player, again, taking that next step, we could see him be second on this team in targets behind Deontay Johnson. I think if I had to put money down right now, he's going to out-target George Pickens, he's going to out-target Chase Claypool, and he's going to be a reliable guy for you know questionable passers like Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett throwing to an easy, reliable tight end over the middle. I think 100-plus targets, top five ceiling is in the range of outcomes for Pat Ryan. Yeah, I definitely see it. And uh, you you kind of mentioned, you know, the debate we had between Njoku and Fryermuth. I think they have relatively similar situational projections in the sense that there's a question mark at the quarterback position outside of the, you know, number one, Amari Cooper versus Deontay Johnson. There's an opportunity for either of them to be number two in their offense. So, yeah, I, I love both those guys. Uh, you kind of mentioned Fryermuth. I would prefer Njoku, but there's definitely a pathing here as a young ascending player to not only beat his ADP, but be a top five tight end. So I don't mind that take. My take from this division is going to be that it's a Browns take. Kareem Hunt running back from the Browns outscores Nick Chubb running back from the Browns. And a lot of people are going to see this and hear this take and be like, well, what the fuck is going on? You know, Nick Chubb is the starter. Nick Chubb is a top three overall runner in fantasy football. Yeah, but in PPR formats, he doesn't do diddly squat for me. Kareem Hunt is the third down passing gap of this team. Kareem Hunt actually gets comparable red zone inside the five usage that Nick Chubb has in the past. So with Kareem Hunt, obviously we know that Kareem Hunt benefits from a Nick Chubb injury. And that's part of the factor that if Nick Chubb missed any time, I think Kareem Hunt can be a legitimate 18-19 PPR point per game scorer. But we even saw last year, despite Kareem Hunt battling with injuries, despite Kareem Hunt being, you know, nicked up, not playing a full allotment of snaps in some of the games that he did play. Nick Chubb only averaged 1.5 PPR points per game more than Kareem Hunt did. And now, again, is it a bold take saying that Kareem Hunt's going to score him out, right? This has to obviously bake in the fact that maybe Nick Chubb misses a game or two, or maybe for the fact that this offense is going to be incredibly worse with Jacoby Brissett at the realm, that Nick Chubb isn't going to have the scoring opportunity that he's had in the past. Nick's not going to have that consistent game script that he's had in the past. So realistically, if this Browns team is not good, which I don't expect it to be with Deshaun Watson off the field, we're going to be looking at a situation where they're not going to have that up 14, up 17 type of game script. And you know who's going to be in the game? It's going to be Kareem Hunt. So, yeah, it's spicy to say, 
but there's a lot of variables and a lot of factors going in the way, going in the favor of Kareem Hunt. Ultimately, the take you should be getting here is instead of taking Nick Chubb in the third round, get Kareem Hunt in the eighth or ninth round. Yeah, and and like you said, most of you guys have probably already had your drafts already, but there's still time to to head on over to Underdog and get your shares of Kareem Hunt as well. So yeah, it makes sense. Like the game script's not going to be in the favor of Nick Chubb. The the scoring opportunity is not going to be great there. We know Jacoby Brissett. He favored. There was a game that Miles Gaskin had like 25 points or something last year yeah. because Jacoby Brissett was just peppering him with targets. And I could totally see Kareem Hunt being out there because the Browns are losing games. They're not you know leading in games like they were in years past with Nick Chubb. So that makes a ton of sense to me. I think that take could reasonably happen as well. Let's move on to the AFC South, where I have Michael Pittman following in the footsteps of previous year three wide receivers. Last year was Debo Samuel. Two years ago, it was Calvin Ridley. Three years ago, it was Chris Godwin. And having a top five finish at the at the wide receiver position, we know Pittman showed you know his breakout potential last year with like an 1,100-yard, six-touchdown type of output. Gets a modest QB upgrade with Matt Ryan. There's really nobody else in that offense that's going to command targets. And Jonathan Taylor is going to be the focus of defenses. So Michael Pittman, you know, 1,400 yards, eight touchdowns, 10 touchdowns in the range of outcomes for Michael Pittman Jr. And I think as a third-year player, taking the next step as a talent would also contribute to him having this breakout, you know, league-winning type of season as well. Love that stance you have on Michael Pittman. He is currently a fringe top 12 overall wide receiver in my rankings. I think the target opportunity is clearly there in Indianapolis, especially with more stability at the quarterback position with Matt Ryan taking the helm. So absolutely love Michael Pittman. I think he's a, a smash in the third down in drafts. I also love Travis Etienne of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And my spicy, my bold take is going to be that he leads all AFC running backs in targets. And the case is pretty simple. As a prospect, this is a guy that had an abundance of receiving work, an abundance of data, checking off the fact that he is used in the receiving game. He is, you know, a weapon in the receiving game. And we have seen and we have heard all offseason that the Jaguars want to feature him, maybe not as a, a pure Debo Samuel level role, because I don't think that's going to be reasonable with Travis Etienne. But even if he's a DeAndre Swift type of role in this offense where he maybe isn't being used, you know, every single down between the tackles, because when James Robinson's coming back, that's probably going to be his role. But we're seeing him in third down usage situations. We're seeing him used in space. And everything I've seen from this Jaguars offense this offseason has indicated that they want this to be a fast-paced, not much thinking, just doing type of offense that Trevor Lawrence himself has actually gone on record and said that he's appreciated about Doug Peterson's approach to an offensive scheme. So if we're getting that type of scheme, it's tailor-made to what Travis Etienne does well. Don't think, just do. That's kind of how I describe Travis Etienne. You don't want him to you know think which hole's open. You don't want him to you know think what route he has to run. You just want to get him in space. You want to get the ball in his hands. You want to see him do magic after the catch. I think that's going to happen a ton this year. I think there's a chance that he can be a 100 target running back end realistically out of the AFC aside from Austin Eckler. I don't see any other running back with a pathing to an elite target share, given the receiving pecking order in their offense that Travis Etienne does. So my hot take is that he actually does more and receives more targets than Austin Eckler does. Yeah, that makes some sense there. And obviously the 88th percentile college target share that he had still yep. has his quarterback that fed it to him. So um, definitely makes a ton of sense. Don't disagree with that take at all. Uh, let's move on to the NFC side of things. And in the NFC East, I have Saquon Barkley regaining his elite fantasy running back status, finishing as a top three running back. We know the case is very simple for this. When he's on the field, he gets the elite workload. He has the elite breakaway playability. He has the elite target share. The only question is health. And he has nothing chronic as of right now that is predictive. He had an ACL tear, which is chronic and is predictive in the first year off of the ACL tear that he had last year. 
suffers a freak ankle injury after we already kind of saw him coming back from the ACL tear in spectacular fashion with two uh, 20 plus point fantasy performances in week three and week four week five, he suffers the injury and the rest is history on his season. But this year he has no health limitations. If he gets injured, it's by the fact that he's a running back and running backs gets injured. It's not, Oh, Saquon Barkley's injury prone. It seems like he's in good spirits. He's looked really good in the preseason so far. Saquon Barkley regains his elite status of fantasy running back as a top three guy is my take. Yeah, no, I fully agree with that. I would have been my take as well. You got to the sheet a little sooner. So uh, yeah, Saquon Barkley, fully agree. He is ranked actually as my RB3. So I don't think this is spicy at all. This is in fact how I would draft him. And my hot take from the NFC East, obviously a division very close to home with the jerseys hanging behind me. It's going to be about a division rival with the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that Kenneth Gainwell is going to outscore Miles Sanders from a fantasy football perspective in 2022. Reason being is every report that we've seen this offseason thus far has indicated that Kenneth Gainwell actually has the upper hand against Miles Sanders in terms of those key crucial leverage situations for the Eagles. Third downs and goal line work. If Miles Sanders is only getting that dirty inside the 20s type of work, there's a very clear path for Kenneth Gainwell to outscore him. Even if the opportunity share is, you know, 60, 65% in favor of Miles Sanders. If Kenneth Gainwell has the opportunity to punch in those six points every time he's in the goal line situation for the Eagles in your fantasy lineups, not to mention in those obvious third down situations where targets are about three times more valuable than a pure running back attempt is, there's no real case to be made that not only Kenneth Gainwell has the higher upside if anything were to happen to Sanders, but that straight up, if nothing were to happen to Sanders, I think that he can score more on his own right. So especially in PPR leagues. Yeah, exactly. Kenneth Gainwell, they don't they don't have any loyalty to Miles Sanders. And anytime you're attacking an ambiguous backfield, if you got a shaky starter, a talented, you know, running back behind them, and you know, a guy that has some leverage situation advantage, we know for sure he's gonna have that in favor on third down. We don't know what the goal line situation is going to be like just yet, but I think Kenneth Gainwell, at least as a, a flyer, if he's available on your waiver wires right now, or if you haven't had your draft yet uh, available in the late rounds, Kenneth Gainwell, just an awesome bet to make in, an, in a backfield that we really don't know what's going to happen. So could he outscore Miles Sanders? Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely possible. And we know Sanders has already been dealing with injuries again, and he just got back to practice the other day. Which, by the way, I know the take is more so tailor-made at the uh, arrival of Kenneth Gainwell, in my opinion, where I would personally be fine taking him, you know, round 11, round 12, especially in full PPR leagues. It's more so against Miles Sanders. Like, there's legitimate people out there, despite not having that red zone usage, despite not having that third down rule, that he's going in the top 90 of drafts right now. I get it. He was a top, you know, 2015 overall pick the past couple years. So you might see, oh, well, he's a value now that he's going this late. Don't fall for the trap. A lot of changing circumstance might take Gainwell over Sanders straight up. Yep. Um, we can move on to the NFC West. And this one, I feel less confident in than I did a couple months ago because of uh, some of the recent news that's come out. Um, but I had Cam Akers as this year's Joe Mixon. And a lot of people get mad when I talk about Cam Akers. They're like, <laughs> he's going to be a bum. It's a committee. He's coming off the Achilles tear. No running back has ever done it. We're talking about bull cases and bold predictions here, right? If the injury is subsided and Akers is the one, he's the one of one to buck that trend. And, and Dr. Edwin Porras has said that himself because we haven't seen a highly drafted second round running back with an elite athleticism profile who's shown workhorse appeal in the past to come back from a torn Achilles five and a half months after the surgery. So Cam Akers, if he does it, is a one of one. And if Cam Akers can do it, 
then he can be this year's Joe Mixon on the back of 15 rushing touchdowns because he plays in a great offense. And because when any running back has been the starter for Sean McVay, whether it was Michelle last year or Henderson last year, they get a full starter workload, 70 plus percent of the snaps in 13 of the 17 regular season games for either one of those guys last year. They combined for the second most red zone touches in the league behind Jonathan Taylor. I think this is a reasonable take. A lot of things have to break right for it, but that's what we're playing for. Bold predictions. Yep. No, I, I definitely see if Cam Akers is able to stay on the field, the offensive insulation of that Rams offense, not to mention a potential increase in receiving work than we saw when he was fully healthy. I do think that all that is on the table for Cam Akers to have that explosive type of year. The only question mark, and I will keep repeating this, is that health status. So we've yet to see what happens, but I definitely think if he's able to stay on the field, he is a near lock to not only smash his ADP, but downright potentially be a league winner like Joe Mixon was to a couple people last year. Uh, my take from this division is going to be that Trey Lance, top three overall quarterback in fantasy football. The only quarterbacks that I can legitimately say right now have a higher ceiling than if Trey Lance hits his peak are Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. If Trey Lance hits his peak, if Trey Lance becomes and develops into the passer that we both thought he could be watching the tape, especially from him as a prospect, which nothing should change given the fact that we haven't seen him as a full-fledged starter since that tape that we were watching on him, what is standing in his way? The weapons group is phenomenal in San Francisco with Debo Samuel, with Brandon Ayuk, with George Kittle there. The coaching is about as good as you could possibly ask for for a young quarterback with a Kyle Shanahan scheme to boot. And then we're getting this dynamic dual threat beast that has the opportunity to rush for a thousand yards, pass for 4,000 yards and potentially throw 25 plus touchdowns. Think Kyler Murray without the volatility. That's what I think Trey Lance could be from a fantasy football perspective. And if you guys are wondering and saying, well, how is he going to hit a thousand rushing yards? Only Lamar Jackson has done that in the past few years. Trey Lance, in the games that he played over 50-plus percent of the snaps last year, if you paced out the numbers of, uh, in terms of his rushing in those games that he played, would have been on pace for over 900 rushing yards. You were getting that full-fledged Konami code dual threat, and you're getting him outside of the top 10 quarterbacks in casual leagues. Yeah, he goes really, really low in casual leagues. I feel like you can get him as like your, you know, your QB1 as like the quarterback 13-14 overall in the ninth, 10th round after you've already filled Silly. out six wide receivers, two running backs and a tight end already, which is absurd, like you said, because he does have a high ceiling. I would push back a little bit. I think Kyler Murray has a higher ceiling than him, but uh, aside from Kyler Murray, I think the other two quarterbacks might be the only ones, like you said, in, in standard four-point-per-passing touchdown leagues where rushing yards are very, very valuable like they are in fantasy football. So let's move on to the final two divisions. We got the NFC South. I have Drake London finishing as the highest-scoring rookie wide receiver, number one, which shouldn't be a shock because he was drafted as the wide receiver one in the NFL draft, but also finishing as a top 15 option at the wide receiver position. I talked about it in the sleepers video. When this guy was on the field at USC, he commanded 15 targets a game, which is when you go to the Atlanta Falcons and there's no targets to throw to other than Kyle Pitts, that skill set is going to translate, assuming he's healthy, which is in a little bit of question right now. But I don't really care who's throwing the ball to Drake London. He can command targets at a high level, whether it's short, intermediate, or down the field, and Drake London has the ability to command 125, 130 targets in the offense that he plays in. He's an efficient player. He can beat zone coverage at an elite level, 96th percentile against zone coming out of USC. I think he has the ability to be maybe not this year's Jamar Chase because I don't think any rookie wide receiver is going to do that or Justin Jefferson two years ago, but could he be as good as Jalen Waddle was last year? I definitely think he could. A uh, similar projection that I can see here. Obviously, Kyle Pitts would be the 
alpha elite weapon in the offense, similar to a guy like Jamar Chase would be. I think that in terms of stylistically, how he can play for this offense could be similar to what T Higgins does for the Cincinnati Bengals, which we saw last year. You kind of mentioned he was a near 16 PPR point per game score, top 12 over a wide receiver. If Drake London can show what he did in college so well, go out there, command targets, be a beast in terms of that ability to command targets. I see top 20, top 25 being the lock with, as you mentioned, potential to be a top 15 to 10 wide receiver. I think it's kind of weird that Drake London being, you know, a top 10 overall draft pick is getting selected outside of the top 30 wide receivers in your drafts right now. And I don't know whether that's, you know, young player bias or what's going on with that. But if this was last year, like he would be a sixth round pick. But instead, this year, he's going in most home leagues, seventh, eighth, ninth round. And I don't really see why. Yeah, and I would say the injury might be part of it. But I would say if if you're getting him in the ninth round, he's not your wide receiver one, two, or three. You probably already have four, five, six wide receivers already on your team. And you can stash him on your bench for when those money weeks come. And I think Drake London's a great pick from that perspective. So I'll let you break down another guy that has a high, high ceiling from the NFC South, a wide receiver. Yeah, and it's funny because you mentioned, you know, Drake London's best ability is his ability to command targets. Well, let's go to the single best commander of targets in the NFL when he is healthy, Michael Thomas, which funnily enough, the last time we have seen this guy fully healthy, he just went out there and broke the receptions record. So you talk about volume, you talk about targets in spades when it comes to Michael Thomas. My bold prediction is that he returns that elite level fantasy wide receiver top five status that he showed prior to the injury. And with Michael Thomas, the ability we know is fully there. He is one of the top 10 overall talents. Maybe even that's a modest projection at the wide receiver position in the NFL. The only concern that we have over Michael Thomas is the fact that he has not played in each of the last two years. If Michael Thomas is fully healthy going to the year, which every single report, every single account has said that that little hamstring injury uh, that he's been battling with in the offseason is nothing to worry about. And of course, that ankle surgery that he's recovering from, he's fully recovered from. If we don't have those underlying health concerns, what is stopping Michael Thomas from going out there being the 10, 11, 12 target per game monster that we saw the last time he was on the field, aside from those injuries? There's not much stopping it. And we, we talk about who's this year's Cooper Cup all the time, but the archetype that we Michael saw Thomas. from Cooper Cup a couple, like last year when he was like a fourth round pick was a guy that you had to look, you had to dig for it. He Cooper Cup had a sustained year of elite production before he tore his ACL in 2018. And that's where we could see the ceiling case range of outcomes for Cooper Cup, except we saw a full season of Michael Thomas being an elite wide receiver. And not only that, but two years before that, he was also a wide receiver one each of those years. And then in 2019, he obviously exploded for the, you know, best wide receiver season we've seen in a couple of years until Cooper cup this year. So could Michael Thomas have not only a top five season, he could be the wide receiver one overall. And there's not a lot of wide receivers that you can get outside the top four, top five rounds that have wide receiver one overall in their range of outcomes and miss me with, you know, Drew Brees isn't there anymore. And Jameis Winston's the quarterback. They're going to throw the ball more and they didn't throw the ball a ton when Drew Brees was there. And the, the pure volume could get Michael Thomas there. People are saying that, Like that same 2019 season, Jameis Winston didn't help two wide receivers finish in the top five. Yeah. And he, and Drew Brees was not, you know, the same guy also that year as well. And he, you know, could be as good, if not worse than uh, what what Jameis Winston could be for the saints this year. So let's move on to the final division before we like drag on this video too long, but 
Let's go to the Detroit Lions, where I could honestly make a Monroe St. Brown case, no problem. But I'm going to go to his teammate uh, in DeAndre Swift. And my take is that he finishes top three at the running back position. He leads all NFL running backs in targets, too. He could have 120-plus targets in his range of outcomes. I know Amon Ra's there. I know TJ Hawkinson's there. I know Jamison Williams was drafted and DJ Chark was brought in. But I think DeAndre Swift has elite target getting ability at the running back position. He was like one of the best running backs last year in terms of, you know, yards created after the catch and stuff at the running back position when it comes to receiving ability. And we saw him on the field in the first 11, first 12 games of the year, average nearly seven targets per game. And I think he has that type of ability to do that again this year. He's a third year running back. We usually see young running backs ascend and usually peak in their third, fourth year of their uh, of their rookie contracts. I think DeAndre Swift could go absolutely hog wild this year for the Lions. Yeah, no, I, I agree with DeAndre Swift. He's uh, firmly entrenched in, I believe, what, my top seven or eight overall running back. So I definitely see the case with that elite receiving volume, kind of the case I talked about with Travis Etienne, only A, we saw it with DeAndre Swift just last year, and B, now we're projecting a better offense for the Lions than we did going into last year. So 20, 21, 22 plus PPR points per game, definitely in the range of outcomes for DeAndre Swift. My take in this division and, you know, the kings of the division of the past, the best quarterback in the division by far, maybe the best quarterback talent-wise we have seen in the NFL in my lifetime. But I don't think any single player of his team is going to be top 12 in their position. Obviously, I'm talking about the Green Bay Packers. I think that no Green Bay Packer, from a fantasy football perspective, finishes top 12 at their position in points per game. We saw just last year, that Aaron Rodgers, yes, he is the most efficient quarterback in the NFL for what he does, but this team does not throw the ball at a rate that you would expect an elite top three overall talent position to throw the ball. They are a slow-paced offense that like to depend on their defense and grind you down. And while people might be looking at that and thinking, well, if that's the case, these running backs got to go ballistic, right? Well, wrong, because if the pace is slow, we want offense on the field. We want a lot of plays run. If you're relying on your defense and grinding the clock, you're not going to have a lot of opportunity for players on your team to actually score you a lot of fantasy points. Yes, it's going to be you know advantageous from a real-life perspective, but not advantageous from a fantasy football perspective. So with Aaron Rodgers, let's talk about him because he's the highest-profile player given his status in the NFL. If he's not throwing the ball an elite number of times per game, and if he's not rushing the ball like a Jalen Hurts, Trey Lance level, what is the upside case for him? If we're getting that, not to mention you're losing Devontae Adams in this offense, I don't see him throwing for 35, 40, 45 touchdowns like he's done in the past. Heck, if he throws for 40 touchdowns this year with that receiving core, give him the fucking third straight MVP because I don't know how that's even possible. Now we're transitioning because the main topic is going to be, obviously, Aaron Jones is a, a, a player that everybody wants to put in their top six, top seven overall running backs, given them losing Devontae Adams and them projecting that target share onto Aaron Jones. Well, you're getting a 27-year-old running back that has never maxed out over 70 targets. And our friend Wiser Fantasy actually went down, studied the data, and found that there's actually no correlation between vacated targets and expected points added to a running back room the following year. So basically, the people arguing that Devontae Adams leading is immediately going to help Aaron Jones, there's actually no data that backs that up from historical precedents. So for this case, if Aaron Jones is not getting that elite receiving work, well, we already saw last year that A.J. Dillon actually got more red zone work more than Aaron Jones. So I just see a low ceiling type of running back option where, yeah, he'll probably finish in the top 12, but for both take purposes, we'll say he finishes RB 13. 
Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. I, I think um, Rodgers probably has the best chance to do this because I don't think he has a high ceiling, but t- QB 12 is not a high bar for him to do this. But uh, I, I think if he throws 40 touchdowns this year, I mean, my Christian Watson takes are going to age very, very well, probably. It's just it, like if he genuinely goes out there with this receiving core, with the, the worst state of the offense we've seen probably in the last five or six years at worst, like, and he goes out there and throws 40 touchdowns, like, Give him the MVP third third straight year. I don't I don't give a fuck. That that is the most impressive thing I have probably heard of. Yeah, exactly. I I think the 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 two running backs cannibalizing each other would be the yeah. only way that this happens because I do think while Aaron Jones doesn't have a top five, top six overall ceiling, running back eight to twelve sounds about right for him. But uh, right. if, if AJ Dillon and him are just really just completely cannibalizing each other, I can see the defense of this team being very very good this year. I think they could be the best defense in the league. So uh, there's a good chance maybe they you know the Cowboys last year had a lot of down offensive production because the defense was so good and creating a lot of turnovers. I could see that on the Packers side of the ball as well. So hope you guys enjoyed this bold predictions video. If you did leave a like down below, subscribe to the channel. If you are new, we are going to be coming at you with legitimate week one content. This will probably be one of the last videos that we make from an off season perspective. We're going to be coming at you with dynasty decisions tomorrow, but after that, we're going to get right into wide receiver rankings for week one, right into running back rankings for week one. Our Patreon uh, exclusive live stream will be Friday night this week because we're going to Dallas Saturday morning. So uh, for those of you guys that are Patreon uh, patrons, uh, be on the lookout for that live stream. That'll be dropping around six, seven o'clock Eastern time. And we'll of course upload that to YouTube after the fact for those of you guys that want to see that and uh, stay tuned for the live stream Thursday night for Thursday night football, NFL 2022 fantasy football season will officially kick off on Thursday. We've been waiting all off season for this shit for us. The best part of it is we get to see how our takes age. We get to see, you know, how our teams are doing obviously and all that good stuff. So if you guys are interested in any of the things that I talked about, check out the links down below Patreon. Uh, underdog fantasy all that good stuff but with that being said peace out and we'll talk to you soon